Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a weekly program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. This program is brought to you by Hope Fellowship, your community church located on the second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. I'm Pastor Mike Zenker, and for the next half hour, I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will help you expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. So many are tired of trying harder to live the Christian life. I've got great news for you. You can stop trying. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Still Growing in Grace. I'm hoping you're enjoying the series that we began a couple weeks back. We are continuing today with a series called Healing Life's Hurts through understanding forgiveness. And today we're going to be focusing on the idea or building a case for what our forgiveness looks like. The first couple episodes, we began uh, talking through uh, the idea of expanding our understanding of what forgiveness is. And we listened to a number of um, definitions and perspectives from different authors and teachers. Then last week, we listened to uh, the idea of who is the source of the ability to be able to forgive. And yes, we know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. Uh, I want us to zoom in a bit more, and that's what we did. What does the scripture say about this person, Jesus, who is that source? So last week was pretty in-depth and got kind of heavy in a way. At least I thought it was quite exciting. But today, we're going to build a case for forgiveness, what it is. Now, this series, the intent of this series is to talk about relational forgiveness between you and I or between humans, humanity. Um, there's also a case to be made for our vertical forgiveness between our Heavenly Father and us uh, and how He has forgiven us. So, while we're talking about the topic of forgiveness, if we're going to engage in such an important topic, we are going to dig in and find out what the scriptures have to say about forgiveness for you and for me first. Then we'll continue and deal with the rest of the series on how it works between you and I. How can we walk it out? So again, every single part of the series is really important. And if you've not had a chance to listen, or if you hear something that go, wait a minute, what is that? What did he just say? Go back and listen again. Go visit stillgrowingingrace.ca. And you can look up the video links because we record all these teachings onto video. And it's also available on podcast. All the links are available online. But today, as we expand our understanding of what forgiveness is, we are going to talk about our Heavenly Father's perspective towards us. What does the scripture say? Well, I have a hunch that we have been told and have been taught things that I think are incomplete or blatantly wrong about forgiveness. So I'd like to list a few things and maybe you'll resonate with them. Maybe you'll go, wait a minute, but I thought that was true. You're going to find out in this series, especially this week and next week, as we dig into this really important section on understanding our forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. We've been told, we've been told in the system of religion, in churchianity, that we, in order to get forgiven, uh, it's we need to get forgiven from our words. It's our confession that gets us forgiven. If we don't say it, then we don't get it. So it's a honestly, it's a conditional. It's a works-based forgiveness. 
Think about that for a minute. If you're going to get forgiven, it is going to be up to you. That's what the system of religion has told us. But I beg to differ. We're going to find some really good news as we get going. So let me let me lay the foundation of some of the myths that we need to unlearn or deconstruct, and then we'll dig into what the scriptures say and let our faith be reconstructed from faith. So that's the first, first one, that our words and our confession is what we have to do to get forgiven. And right on its tail, in order to stay forgiven, we've been told that we are required to act right, obey our Bible, obey our leaders. And if you don't, that's a terrible sin and you need to repent of it. And it's up to you to stay forgiven. (laughs) Yeah. Don't you love that emphasis? I thought forgiveness was about Christ and what he has done. And it is. But the system of religion has taught us that. So if you have heard of that before, then stay tuned, especially if you're looking for some hope and looking for some good news, because that's what this is about today. We've also been told that we need to keep a running list and confess every sin, including the ones we didn't know we committed. Oh my goodness. Are you starting to see or hear the obsession with sin here? This is not a grace perspective. This is a sin consciousness mindset that we have to be careful to get forgiven by saying it the right way, that we have to stay forgiven by acting and keep confessing, that we also have to remember that we don't miss a sin that we've committed and ask for forgiveness. Hmm. I think we're starting to see a pattern here because there's an implication for eternity if you believe this. If you've, if what I've just shared with you, if it is true, there is a harsh, harsh implication for our futures, especially when it comes to the uh, idea of um, your location of where, where are you going to go? Heaven, hell, those are key topics that always come up with this because God can't handle any unforgiveness and you'll go to hell if you don't have, uh, if you don't confess your sins. Well, here, here's what I've used as an example. Let's say you're going to church. How lovely is that? You're singing songs and you're worshiping God. How wonderful. It's all harmonious and beautiful. But then you leave church and you pull out of the driveway and suddenly a vehicle cuts you off, making you swerve and you get so mad you give an unholy gesture to that person and you maybe even cuss. Who knows? But suddenly there's a truck that comes and smashes into you and boom, you're dead instantly. And suddenly, you didn't have time to confess that last sin. You were totally clean as you left the church, but oh no, you died dirty in sin. Oh no, guess what? God's going to then say, well, you forgot to confess that one. Sorry, bye-bye. And that is the mindset of this idea that it's up to you to stay forgiven, up to you to confess constantly. (laughs) Here's another misunderstanding. Listen to this one. Tell me if this can rock your world. We've been told that to confess our sins means the same thing as asking for forgiveness. These are not the same thing. Not at all. Oh my goodness. You're going to find a really healthy encouragement today and next week as we dig into what do the scriptures actually say then. If these things I've just read off to you are myths, or misunderstandings, and incomplete at best, then what is the good news? 
Stay tuned. You're going to like this. I saw a picture of uh, Al Pacino, and there was a quote from him. He, he says this, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. That was a joke. <laughs> that's the idea. That's, that's the flippancy uh, of forgiveness. In fact, if you want to get serious for a moment, if that uh, quote was ever true, he would believe in a very gracious God. Imagine that. He knew he'd get forgiven. Funny. What if then? My question is, what if? What if there are more hope-filled perspectives from those who've gone before us, teachers, leaders, uh, believers who've grown in deep, deep faith, our spiritual ancestors from the early church, all the way from Paul, past Paul into 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years after Christ. What if there may have been more hope-filled perspectives? Would you want to know? I do. And I've researched, and I have found much more hope. And what if, then, those words of those teachers, if it is good news, what if the scriptures also imply a better hope? That's what this next part is going to be. I'm going to show you some scriptures that will imply, if not imply, be absolutely blunt with good news. Well, we begin with this idea, because this topic of sin, the church is so obsessed with sin, sin obsession, it drives me crazy. They preach against sin all the time. Well, how about you stop preaching against sin and preach the love of Christ and watch that transform people's minds? Now, does that mean we're being easy and light on sin? No, Jesus wasn't. He was so serious about it that he actually took sin into himself and put it away. So, if the church is so obsessed with sin, maybe we should look at what God says about it. How does Jesus view? Would, would Jesus' opinion be important if we're going to deal with the topic of sin? I'd like to know what Jesus thinks. I'd like to know what the scriptures say. How does God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, view sin and humanity? Brace yourself in. If you're driving in a car, make sure your seatbelt's on because I can hear a hallelujah coming in just a moment. Listen to this, and I'm not making any of this up. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Here's what it says. And this is Old Covenant. If you're going to play the covenant game, which you need to, you need to understand Old and New Covenant. He writes, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Not just partial righteousness, everlasting. This is Old Covenant. That's what God came to do through Christ. Then we have in Matthew 1.21, most of you will hear this one. This is part of the Christmas story. Right at Christmas, we have hope. And it says here, Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here it is. For he will save his people from their sins. Well, my question is, did he succeed or not? Good question. I believe he did then why are we acting and teaching as if he didn't succeed? John 1.29 says this. This is um, John the Baptist recognizing Christ coming to him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just believers, 
Because that's how many would preach it. They'd say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of those who confess right. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of those who pray the right way, who act the right way, or uh, who takes away the sin of believers only. It does not say that. Look it up yourself. John 1, 29, it says to take away the sin of the world. Don't run around the bush here. Don't you, you got to face this head on. I know some of you could easily be thinking, yeah, but what about that verse and this verse? Look at all this other stuff. Well, how about you stop your yeah, but for just a moment? How about you cease your trying to respond instead of meditating on these words? How about take a look at the scriptures? Meditate on these things I'm sharing with you right now. What about these words? Because if you're going to go run to those other ones, I'll give you the yeah, but, and then you have to come to this one. So please, I've spent so much time on the yeah, buts of condemnation. I don't need that anymore. I want to see what the scriptures clearly say. And it says to take away the sin of the world. Matthew 26, 28 in the Passion Translation says this. For this is the blood that seals the new covenant. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. Blunt. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 9, 29, he's been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And lastly, uh, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sin of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2, Passion Translation. Well, stay tuned. Uh, We're going to listen to some advertisements from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more good news. Are you looking for an encouraging church where you'll discover hope in God who truly loves and accepts you? Hope Fellowship in North Waterloo meets every Sunday at 1030, and the great coffee is only the first thing you'll appreciate. If you're looking for a safe place, a relaxed community of people who want to grow in the freedom of God's grace, welcome to Hope Fellowship, second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. Learn more at hopefellowshipycc.com. And they do have that great coffee. Looking for adventure in the great outdoors? It's not far from your own backyard at Conestoga River Horseback Adventures. Fun for the whole family or why not your next corporate party? Trail rides are offered all year round and other options like pony rides and birthday parties for the young cowboys and cowgirls. Afterwards, you can relax and keep the party going in their large, comfortable lounge. Conestoga River Horseback Adventures, 519-888-6503 and horsebackadventures.ca. Thank you for joining back after our advertisers share their great businesses. I hope you'll support them. They're great people and they make this show possible. Again, if you have been encouraged by this, let other people know we're on the air. Share the video links, Facebook links, YouTube links, all that stuff. So we ended the first half with this powerful verse of 1 John 2, 2 in the Passion Translation. It says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He has taken it away for everyone. I'm not making this up. If you were ever in court and there was a list of evidence built against you for a certain thing you did, and if there's one item, okay, that you may be able to explain away, but when you have two or three or four or five, and I just gave you eight, uh, eight cases 
eight key texts that shows you how God views sin. He's taken it away. He's not obsessed with it anymore. He's not focused on the sin anymore. He's focused on your healing, on your restoration, on your reconciliation so that that wakes up in you. That's what Jesus is excited about. He's not looking at all your sin. You are. Stop looking where he isn't. Start looking at him and you'll start to see his love for you. And it will begin to transform your mind and your heart. Well, the previous pattern was about how God views sin. Now, let's take a look at a pattern of verses that speak of our forgiveness. And I'm going to show you it has already happened. And I remember um, it was almost 15 19, 19 years ago, almost, uh, I was at a church in Fort Erie at the Alliance Church, and I'm begging God. I spent hours, I went to the church early, uh, prayed at the foot of the stage, begged, begged, begged. Not that I'd done any big, horrific sin. I just didn't believe I was forgiven. I, I had a sin consciousness. I remembered stuff, so I asked again for forgiveness just in case it didn't work the first time. And I tell you, when I, I read a book called um, uh, Classic Christianity by Bob George, and when I read that book, and then I read Grace Walk by Steve McVeigh, and these two books combined woke me up to the real truth that I was already forgiven. And suddenly, that consciousness of sin lost its power in me, and I became far more Jesus-focused. It's a beautiful picture. So let's, let's take a look at some verses that share with us clearly and bluntly, you have already been forgiven. And this will take till next week as well. So we're not going to be able to finish today. So when we finish, make sure you get ready for next week's show. So 1 John 2, uh, 1 to, uh, verse 12, in the New Living Translation, it says this, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Christ. That's past tense. Look that up. Having been forgiven. Uh, and by the way, in that text of 1 John 2, uh, the writer is writing to children, young adults, and adults, and he repeats it twice. But in this one, he begins with, I'm speaking to you children because you know your sins are forgiven. That is the first step of Christian maturity. Like if you, if you think certain people are so mature in the faith, even pastors and church leaders, I'm a pastor, okay, but I'm teachable. I have not arrived. But if they're telling you that you're not forgiven, then see them as children, infants, maybe even still full, wearing full diapers, full of you-know-what. That's what that is. It's child-level talk. We're called to grow up and mature. If you don't know you're forgiven, oh my goodness, you're going to struggle in condemnation. But first, John is telling us, you have been forgiven. Romans 8.1. Here's another one. In the New Living Translation, it says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Uh, I believe in the Passion Translation, it says this, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. Folks, this is a blunt, blunt declaration that if there is any condemnation voices coming at you from family, from churches, from pastors, from leaders in your own head to yourself, they are never sourced in Christ. 
That is sourced in sin, an incomplete and incorrect declaration. There is no condemnation for you. Stop beating yourself up. Start looking at the one who is life and live from his life. Uh, Romans 5.10, it says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? I tell you, this is a huge, huge deal. I hope you caught that. It said while we were enemies, while we were blind, when we were, I don't think we were ever shaking our fists at God. We didn't know the real God. It's while we were in that darkness and blindness that Christ reconciled us. It happened at the cross. You've been reconciled, past tense. Now, remember, enemies, uh, enemies, look it up. It's a one-sided deal. It's, it can be two-sided. You can have two people who hate each other. But I've, I've had people hate me, and I love them. It's a one-sided enemy. And there are people that were enemies of God. They thought God was upset with them, but God was never upset with them. Even in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't shun them and go, oh, they have sin. I need to get away from them because I'm so holy. I can't handle sin. That's baloney. He went to them. He knew full well what they did. And he went to them. They're the ones who covered up. It's their minds that were blind. It was in their minds they were separated. They believed God was angry with them. Oh, my goodness. People. Our God is better than what we've been told, and it's revealed. He's revealed in Christ. So what Jesus says about you, go with that. What Jesus says about his Father, go with that. I'll take his word for it. I love this part. Ephesians 1.7 in the New Living Translation says this, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins, past tense. <laughs> In the Passion Translation, it reads like this, Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by His blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of His grace. <gasps> this is mind-blowing. Did you hear all this good news? Wow. Colossians 2. We're going to keep going because this is too, too good. Uh, so much more where this is coming from. I, I hope you got your seatbelt on. This is great. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 14. This is a confirmation of what we just read in Romans where it said, while we're enemies. Now listen to this. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to you. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
Wow. It's while we were dead. Where? Not dead in our spirits. Your spirit doesn't die. It cannot die. So don't let anybody tell you you're spiritually dead, because what does that mean? It has implied that we have no life. Well, you do have life. It, you're, you're dead in your mind, in your transgressions, it says here. Where are you dead? In your transgressions. Your spirit's still alive. There is only one source of life. I hope you all know that. One source. It is Christ. So here you're, you're encouraged that this is a done deal. It's while we were blind, while we were dead, while we were enemies, God did it to us, for us, without us even asking. He didn't even come to us and ask permission. Hello, so-and-so. Can I save you? I see you're blind and dead. May I have permission to save you, to forgive you? He didn't do that. In his love, he went after you. When a person's drowning in a pool, they don't have to ask permission to get rescued when they're drowning. They're way too focused on trying to survive. Or they may already be unconscious, not knowing they're dying. And the rescuer comes and dives in the pool and saves them without permission. Just does it. Because that's what rescuers do. They rescued those who need rescuing. And you have been rescued by Christ. <laughs> he wasn't going to leave us in our state of mind where we could not understand. He was not going to leave us in that place of blindness and deadness in the state of enemies. In the state of believing, God is angry with us. He came to change that. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's time to bring a better gospel. Oh my goodness. No more condemnation. No more standing on the corner yelling at people that are going to hell and they need to turn or burn. That is not how Jesus approached people. He went with compassion. He's full of kindness and goodness. Tells us in the Old Testament, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O oh Lord. Huh. Think about that for a minute. The next time you want to get angry at somebody for not believing, why are you getting mad at a blind person for being blind? Jesus didn't get mad at you for being blind, but he opened your eyes now so you can see. So join us next week as we continue on this section of uh, um, uh, understanding of forgiveness and the love of God. See you next week. Mark Wilson's Better Used Cars in Guelph is not your typical used car lot. Customers who shop there get the insider treatment, especially when buying from the insider man, Rod Sider. Rod will help you select a late model car, truck, van, or SUV from their large selection of vehicles, and he'll work with your budget. Call the insider man at 519-836-2900, extension 287, or visit Mark Wilson's Better Used Cars at the corner of Whitelaw Road and Highway 24, Guelph, and ask for the insider man. Family run, family owned. So their focus is on you. Conestoga Lodge Retirement Residence is a full-service retirement home in Kitchener. And you'll be impressed to know that they are not a big corporate chain. They're quality-driven with a focus on each and every individual. Conestoga Lodge offers permanent and short-term stays. To book a free, no-obligation tour, you can call 519-576-2140 or visit online at conestogalodge.com. 
You've been listening to Still Growing in Grace. I'm Pastor Mike Zenker, and I'd like to invite you to join me next Tuesday morning at 1130 when our teaching time will continue. Or join us at 1030 every Sunday morning at Hope Fellowship, your community church located on the second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. If this show has been an encouragement to you, won't you help us spread this good news? Make your donation today by visiting stillgrowingingrace.ca. You can also catch up on past programs, watch YouTube videos of our talks, and download our weekly podcasts. Sign up for our email list and send in your questions. After all, no one has arrived, and we are all still growing in grace.